electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Rising stocks after another inflation read comes in cooler than expectations. The investment committee debating what it all means for the state of this rally. Joining me for the hour, Surat Sethi, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, also with us today on set, CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Let's go to the wall and check the markets. It's just past 12 noon in the east. There you go. Dow's good for about 250, three quarters of 1%. S&P, 1.5%. There's the NASDAQ, though, near 300 points. That's 2.5%, 381. The yield on the 10-year bonds up, yields down. So, Josh, rates are down. The dollar's down. And the story of the day, obviously, is the inflation read, but the fact that NASDAQ's up 2.5%, and many of the biggest names within it are absolutely crushing it today. Yeah, one of the main things going on is that markets, uh, stock, the stock market in particular, is anticipatory. It's not thinking about the quarter that we're in, although it is reacting to some better-than-expected earnings reports from consumer-driven names and retailers. But generally speaking, the market is now trying to look forward to 2023. And it's, it's a relief. We can stop panicking about accelerating inflation, and we can get on with panicking about the new recession. And that's, you know, <laughs> look, that, that's, that's, the, that's the, the rhythm of this business. That's just what it is. Yep. What's the next thing to, to worry about? Um, but the market doesn't seem particularly panicked. One of the curiosities of this era, the amount of tightening that we've had historically, you would have seen stress in the credit markets. We're not seeing that at all. Why? Companies spent two years reliquifying their, their balance sheets, raising money with their eyes closed. They've got plenty of cash and, and there's not a lot of stress. And then the other place that you would normally see tightening start to affect retail sales, nothing of the sort. Look at Walmart, look at Home Depot. Um, you've got price increases that have been put through. The consumer really hasn't blinked for the most part. There are some individual stories that are talking about a softening. But by and large, the big companies, the Fortune 500 names, they have weathered this tightening so far. Uh, and it doesn't really look as though they want to give drastically lower guidance mm-hmm. going forward. So that's where we are today. Steph, Josh uses a great word, uh, anticipatory, because mm-hmm. Professor Siegel this morning uh, speaks to that. Yeah. Quote, I think this moves up the pivot. All we need is for them, the Fed, to recognize what prices on the ground are actually doing and they are not going up. So is it time to anticipate the Fed slowing the pace of hikes? as some in the last couple of days have suggested. I think clearly the market is trying to get on that side of the page and think that we have some room to run here in stocks. We're getting to the latter stages of the Fed, but I don't think they're going to change from December of 50 basis points. And then we're going to have to see in January and February what the data says and what the data is telling us and whether they do 25 in February, another 25 in March. Who knows? 
that's a lifetime uh, away from where we are right now, right? And in the meantime, it, lo it does look like the CPI and the PPI inflation has peaked. Um, it's not only those two factors, though, right? It's wages. It's uh, and then at the same time, we got the New York Fed manufacturing uh, prices that actually went up in the month of November. So we have a lot of a lot of conflicting data. But if we've peaked, that's a good thing. I just think we're going to stay very high. I mean, the, the numbers are still quite high. Staying and, high is better than going higher. Of course, right? but that means the Fed stays high well, we and know higher that. for longer. Higher for longer. And for, even if the even the Fed funds uh, futures, it's not at 5% any longer, it's in the fours, that's a good sign. But it's still high, Scott, right? And so I get the rally today. Rates down, long duration assets up. Well, it's not just today. I mean, the, well, the move... Well, it started on, it started last week. Last with week. Yeah. Does yeah. it open the door to 4,100 on the S&P now? Well, I have been saying that I think we can rally into the end of the year because of seasonals, but also because of positioning. And it, yeah, if you keep on having, if you keep on having rates fall or not go up, and long duration assets work, well, there's your. You always ask us, can you know if tech doesn't work, can the market work? Well, if tech works, that's a nice tailwind for the overall market because that's 35 percent of the weighting in the S and P 500. Tech's working today, sure Surat, as as we said. Um, but the next stop, right? We've. 4,000 has proved to be um, fairly significant resistance. So assuming we can get comfortably over that level, do we need to start thinking about, you know, these next incremental steps like 4,100 on the S&P between now and the end of the year? Is that, is that realistic? I mean, it could be realistic because I think Steph outlined it well. We are in a time period where people are positioned for year-end, so you've got a few cross-currents going over there too. I do think this data is going to be really important. I mean, one of the things that we have to see is demand being destroyed, and you haven't seen that. And I think if you don't see that, then the Fed's going to be pretty strict to what they're saying, and I think you're going to be range-bound. You're not going to really go through 4,100 because the market's saying we don't know and we're going to stop. Well, you're not going to have demand be destroyed in 10 seconds. I mean, it no. takes some time, so, right? So, you so know, the housing market's already gotten hit. The whole point is that the Fed has done a lot, and the, these inflation reports arguably let them do little or less from here, and they can afford to sit back and wait and see what happens with what they've already done. I don't think they're going to afford to sit back and wait. I think they're going to say we're still on this path, because if they go through that and they're wrong, credibility gets shot, and that's going to be the second time that we've had that. So we're, the cross-current, to your point, are we going to get through 4,100? Until we see that, and if those numbers come faster, then I'm wrong, Scott, and you're right, that, that oh, the Fed will say we're slowing down. But I don't think that's happening because it's going to take a while for that to happen. Leisman, again, Siegel, uh, I think this moves up the pivot. Does it do that for the Fed? I mean, didn't you say that this starts, that this puts the Fed on the clock or this starts the Yeah, you the can clock? start counting now. You can start counting. What, so in its essence, is, it does then? It does. It does. And, and I, can, I can spin a scenario for you, which I think is the most optimistic scenario, and I'll give you some dates, which I usually know at the back of my hand, but I just want to be clear that I've got them. Day of the Fed meeting, December 13th, you get the November CPI. Yeah. That would be two. Still think the Fed goes 50 there. Now fast forward to January 2023, which seems so far away because it's like on the other side, you got to change the calendar, right? So you get that report uh, for December and the middle of January, the Fed meets the end of that month. That quarter could be the last quarter before the pause. 25 basis points right there. So take your number right now, you're four, three and three quarters to four, add three quarters of a percentage point to that, you're probably going to stop at the 450 level. That's what's happening. If you guys take a look at, look at the Fed funds futures, the action, the response of the market 
to in, in the Fed funds futures market is not to the near term. It's to the back end. So what happens is uh, the chance of going above 5 percent. Remember, that's the call of guys like Larry Summers, um, Bill Dudley are out there. Look at where the market is now seeing an adjustment back to the back end there at 440 with the peak in May of 490. That can come down a little bit if my scenario was right. But remember, that scenario is based upon three good inflation reports showing a clear trajectory. You had the uh, wholesale trade numbers come down. You had uh, uh, intermediate goods suggesting some disinflation up the pipeline. All of that is good. Some of the clearing we've been talking about in the Los Angeles, uh, the, the western ports, all that's good. Some of this helps in the supply chain stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can put those three together, I think the Fed can say we're at four and a half and we can pause for a little bit before we do further hikes. That's a better scenario, it's, Josh, isn't it, for, for stocks, which just a week ago pre-CPI seemed to think that 5% was a formality and f- above 5 was realistic. Now, baby, not so much. Well, I think it's important to point out that when when we talk about uh, those rate markets, those are just traders placing their bets and they can reverse those bets. And, you know, just like the Federal Reserve, they put out guidance, they revise their guidance based on data coming in. And, you know, traders have to do the same thing. So uh, whatever we might be taking for granted when we're saying 5% is a formality and then all of a sudden it's, oh, wait a minute, things are actually slowing down. The Fed is getting its way in a lot of areas. Now it's 4.5%. Talk to me a month from now. That could be back to 5 That could be 4 And we all have to be, I think, uh, aware that these markets move really fast. The, the biggest benefit from my perspective that we're going to get in Q1 is that we're, I think we're going to see a slowdown in the volatility of interest rates. We're not going to see as much of a move in the 10-year, in the two-year. You can argue you that can we I, already have. Kind of you can that kind of argue quickly, that we is, have. The yeah. volatility no, has settled last, down a no, little no, bit. No, no, no. Last week was one of the biggest one-day rate moves ever. It happened to have been lower, so we're happy about it, right. but that's still volatility. So what I'm talking about is an environment, January, February, March, where, yes, maybe there's another hike, maybe there's not. We're now talking about 25 basis points. The data is supportive of slowing down. Um, maybe the tone gets a little bit hawkish. And we don't have to contend with these rapid moves up and down because markets have now settled on uh, what they think is the end of this particular cycle. I'm not saying it's definitely bullish for stocks. I'm saying it's a huge improvement over what we went through in Q1 and Q2 of this year, which led to the worst U.S. bond market since the 1780s. We're not going to have to deal with We might have other things to deal with. We're not going to have to deal with that. The question is, have, has this, this move in stocks gone too fast? Mm. Was it in some respects an overreach and an overreaction by the stock market to the CPI and, and now the PPI? I only raise that, that issue because Marco Kalanovic, who's been more positive on the market than most over at J.P. Morgan has reduced their equity overweight. Now, they still remain overweight equities, but maybe they're a little less bullish than they were just for the simple fact they suggest that the rally from last week has given them an opportunity. And I'm wondering if it's given other investors the opportunity to assess where we where we were, where we are and where, you know, if you're worried about where we're going to, if you have the opportunity to reduce some some risk. Well, we were very oversold, as I mentioned. Sentiment got really negative. Positioning got very defensive. 
uh, Sarat and I were just talking about healthcare, how that's actually now started to pause because everybody was piled into healthcare and everyone is piled into staples and utilities, right? And, uh, and the odd thing is they are also piled into some of the cyclicals, which is where I think you ought to be between now and the end of the year. And maybe, yeah, throw in some technology as well. But I do think that this has legs. I just think the seasonality is in the favor. And, oh, by the way, if we get more reports like Walmart, that's a positive, especially if it's in the consumer discretionary space, because we know consumer is 75% of, G- 70% of GDP. It's a very important sector that's actually lagged in a pretty big way. Maybe that plays catch up. And maybe technology plays catch up just until the end of the year, Scott, because I think 2023, there's still a lot of unknowns, right? We still don't know if we get to 4.5% on the Fed funds or if it's 5%, whatever that number is. There's a lag impact. We've talked about this. We do not know what the impact is going to be on the overall economy. And the Fed, they really don't have a great track record in soft landings. What's ironic is that what might be overdone to the upside are the consumer staple stocks. Yeah. You had people out there willing to pay virtually anything for what they perceive as stability of cash flow, return of capital, high dividend, low volatility. Do you want to, if, if the Fed is within three months of being done with the hiking cycle, Do you want to pay 26 times earnings for Hershey? Do you want to be chasing the Coca-Colas, the Pepsis? And by the way, those charts all look great. But like if you ask me where have things gone too far, that's a pretty obvious, easy answer. It was the right thing for a lot of people to do if they had to own equities in the last quarter. Will that look like the right thing to do early next year? I'm not so sure. Well, I'll take the other side of that. Uh, you're right in terms of, you know, talking about 26 times PEs, but we could have said the same thing for a lot of tech stocks that are now trading in the, in the single digits. The reason you want to own Coca-Cola, Pepsi, I don't own Hershey, but I own those two, Constellation, is, look, when you get the bumps in the road, these are good diversifiers in your portfolio. And right now, these stocks are actually doing well in the face of a very strong dollar. So with the dollar coming down, which we would expect if interest rates start doing that, you're going to get some, some tailwind if input prices start coming down, commodity prices started coming down. Agreed. Well, wouldn't you rather own cyclicals in that kind of scenario with a weak dollar and lower inflation? I, I do. Because you to- get the more positive you, operating you, you leverage. You definitely do, but I'm, I'm just talking about the diversifying yeah, your portfolio. You. Okay. you know, so you get the 3 4% dividend yield. Again, you're not going to beat the indexes owning them, but you're going to provide some type of low volatility. Now, if you're not looking for that and you're saying, I just want to go off to the races, you shouldn't be in those stocks. But if know. you want to be... I, I, they're good protection. They definitely did their job this year. Yes. I find definitely. it interesting, though, Steph, that, that you bring forth the unknowns about what lies ahead, right? You keep saying, well, they're, they're going to do this. They're going to be higher for longer. We don't know what the impact on the economy is going to be. They go 4.5%. They go higher. But yet you're, you're favoring cyclical stocks, which, you know, suggests I, I, don't, I don't get the connection between if I'm worried about the economy is going to slow from here forward because of what the Fed has done, as you suggested, why I would want to buy stocks that are most sensitive to a slowing economy. Well, How does I mean, that make first, sense? Well, first and foremost, I mean, cyclicals financials are one, and they're going to be benefiting, and they have been benefiting from better net interest margins and net interest income oh, and rates. So that's Not one if rates go of, down. If, if the yield, what if the yield curve actually starts to steepen? It's inverted right now, and these and these companies are still printing money. Falling dollar what would if be you think, huge for cyclicals. So, so wait, so that was my so if financials no, are rates, and yes, and industrials <laughs> and energy is definitely falling dollar for sure. But also, what if 
China does actually reopen. I know that's a wild card, but see what happened last week as soon as we got a whiff of China reopening partially, and all those stocks flew higher. And so that's where I think the valuations are depressed. They have pricing power, again with the dollar weakness, again with input uh, costs coming down. That's really good for this kind of group, right? So it is. It's energy, it's materials, it's industrials, it's financials. But to Surratt's point, it's not just that. You have to have diversification, and I do. You think the Fed is, if, if we do go to 4,100 on the S&P and we get there, um, if not exceeding that around the time of the next meeting, how does that influence what they're thinking about financial conditions being tight enough? When they hear a Walmart raise an outlook, a stock market rally get extended, what do they think about that, you think? I think there's always a little bit of narcissism involved in a question like that, Scott, which is that you think the Fed thinks about you more than they do. And I, I don't think the, the Fed is really thinking that. And I don't mean you. Of no, course, but don't Scott. they continue to talk um, about the need for financial they, they conditions? Do, to they do. They do. And, and I think if the market were to rise based upon a perception that inflation is cooling and the Fed might need to do less, I think the Fed would not have a problem with that. I think what it had a problem with was back in the summer when the Fed still had a few 75s in its pockets and the market took off, then that was not narcissism. That was, I think, appropriate paranoia at that point. The Fed has to deal, though, with, with consumers having a trillion dollars in that's excess, another issue excess that's out there. cash in the bank. That slows down uh, the effect the, the, the and effect the lags. But of, of what they want I just to want to come back to, to one issue that's, uh, that Josh raised and Stephanie also talked about. Knowing that or an idea that you can start to get a vision on where this is all headed allows you, I think, to make calculations about valuations of stocks you yeah. couldn't make. So the end of that volatility is good. The down, there's two downsides to that that I think need to be considered. The first is the stopping level is still four and a half percent. So your risk free rate relative to all the stocks you're talking about is higher. And so you can go in and buy a one year at four and a half. Or I could take a gamble on some of this cyclical discretionary stuff or not. I may pack a pocket the four and a half instead. That's one. Two is one of the ways inflation came down today was through a compression of margins at the wholesale and retail level. What happened is as prices on the inflation front rose, margins went up with it and margins have been pretty darn good. Well, because as companies raised prices to deal more, with the rising it, input. Exactly. Costs. One of the ways that inflation will be beat here is a compression of margins. So as they say, put that in your pipe and smoke it when you start to figure out what valuations <laughs> yeah. are, which is that margins should be compressing. And I don't think that's going to be true for everybody. But over time, margins should come down because you had a cost. great period of time. Yeah, yeah but you're not, suggesting, you're not suggesting that companies are going to lower prices that they raise to deal with the higher input costs, are no, you? No, they'll fire or people inflation. and margins no, they're going to cut costs. Seriously, though, no, he hasn't answered the question uh, uh, yet. Okay, so in a... Competitive market, you guys can laugh at me when I say this because not all these markets talk about are competitive, a higher than normal rate of return should not stand. So in a place where a guy is charging five bucks for the pair of socks and he can still make a, somebody can still make a profit selling at four, yes, prices should come down. There should be a disinflationary period. Stephanie is looking at me. by if you saw the look on her face Well, right only now, because, you it know. It would be way. something. Forgive, she thinks no Forgive this. We should have Forgive some disinflation. Cynics. That can be, in the most competitive markets, a challenge I'll for margins that has to be factored in. That's I'll all I'm saying. I'll give it to you in retail with excess inventory. I'll totally give you that. And that's what we're seeing. And actually, that's what Walmart said today. Mm -hmm. But 
I'm not, I, mean, I got to tell you something, Caterpillar is not going to lower prices anytime soon, right? In fact, they're raising prices, and they raised prices a year ago that they're starting to benefit now from. So I just think you're going to have sectors that, A, do have pricing power that stays high for longer, and then also you're going to have corporate restructurings. Why do you think we're hearing about all the layoffs That's in technology? That's another way to solve so the problem. I just think everyone always wants to pile but, on, but on the high But let me just margins. tell you, Stephanie, we have the highest, we have, we have historically high corporate profits as a percent of GDP. Margins are very high, and Lael Brainerd has talked about this, others have as well, that one of the ways we're going to get lower prices is through margin compression. And if you're not thinking about that in your investment thesis, I would just suggest well, you're making a mistake. Let me ask you a question, I Steph. Why, why do you own Target over Walmart? And why doesn't anybody here own Walmart? Um, I own Target, and I've been wrong on it, obviously, right? It's down 25% year-to-date, and Walmart's up now 2% year-to-date. So it's been the wrong call, but I, I I'm liked not the, even pointing it I out liked for the that valuation. purpose. Just I, well, I liked the valuation. I liked the business mix of consumables and, and discretion. They have a little bit more discretion versus Walmart, so I'm not sure we're going to see the comp like Walmart of 8.2% when they report tomorrow. But I do think that they've gotten religion on the in inventories. I think that's going to be a big theme this mm -hmm. week across the board of all retailers and into next week as well, that inventories are coming down substantially. So is now the time to buy retail? Because discretionary I, is up already up I am, a lot. I am, over, I am was, overweight. Was I own... I've been adding to Estee Lauder. We talked about that, how that got hit on the news. In fact, that stock was down 8% on the earnings. Only the next day when the China news came out, it was mm -hmm. up 10%. So they have 30% exposure in China. But there is, there's more to it. I think beauty is going to be definitely strong. And that we saw also with Walmart, that beauty was one area that was very strong. But why I like Target is he's, it's a well-run company. They got it wrong on inventories. And I think he's getting it right. And I think their guidance for the second half of this year is for a two-comp, which I think they could easily do and a six percent operating margin going up from 1.2 percent last quarter yeah, yeah so so can I just say something real quick to that which sure. is a footnote from the news meeting this morning where somebody pointed out some of the shipping rates are coming back up a little bit some of the loads are coming back up an idea that maybe the retailers have right-sized their inventory and for the next ordering cycle we're done with Christmas Christmas was done back in March for the next ordering cycle they may be right-sizing to the upside inventories which is both good for the economy and also suggests maybe the retailers at least the most progressive ones had gotten their act in order uh, their stuff in order when it came to the inventory level. All right, let's make that the last word. Let's Good. take a break. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, Steve Leesman with us here. Semis, they are surging up 20% just this month and now crossing a key level. That move coming as big investors and hedge funds are jumping into a number of notable names there. So is the bottom in for that group? We'll debate that next. We're back on The Half and Two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Back on the half chip stocks, they continue to rally. Semis now crossing above their 200-day moving average for the first time since March 31st. And new 13F filings reveal big buying in that space as well. Let's discuss because the question of the moment is whether, Steph, you think these stocks have bottomed. Um, you own Broadcom. So Berkshire goes to Taiwan Semi, right? That's a new position. Tiger Global added to it. Co2, Lamb. ASML, Applied Materials, they, they, um, they increase NVIDIA, which reports tomorrow. So, I mean, the big yeah. money is, now, this is as of the end of September, caveat. Um, but nonetheless, the question of the hour, have these stocks bottomed? I don't know if they've bottomed and certainly are acting better. Um, and I think we all know the bad news between China restrictions and wafer fab equipment numbers coming down huge. I mean, huge. They were 100 billion expected this year, down now to about 70 billion. So we know the bad news. And a lot of these stocks really trade, you know, 13, 14, 15 times. So it's very tempting. I am watching Lamb. You know, I've owned that in the past. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I still prefer Broadcom because it is almost a special situation. I kind of say that all the time, but I like what their end markets are. They're unique. They're different. And AI and enterprise and data center and cloud. But 49% of the total revenues is software because they've done so much in terms of M&A. They have VMware synergies that have not yet been realized. They have a $31 billion backlog. So I kind of feel good with that. And, it, and the stock trades at 14 times and you get a 3% yield. So I like this story, but um, I certainly am watching the semis. As well, you, you know, say I've you're been... watching AMAT. Why are you watching AMAT? Well, AMAT and LAM. I mean, AMAT's tomorrow. So I want to hear, like, because I don't think it's going to be good. But I think they've already pre-announced, right? And so if actually the stock goes up on bad news, that'll be a nice tell. And that maybe get me into lamb. I don't well, think it'll be. There's AMAT, right? It's up 56 percent off its low. It's right. still 35 percent from its high. I know. Well, that's why the risk reward isn't so great, right? Not not right now, anyway. So Nvidia tomorrow, Josh. Yeah, Nvidia has had a really tough year. Obviously, it's it it came into the year really coasting on these tailwinds that seem to have just completely disappeared. Uh, strong sales for gaming that went away. Crypto stuff that went away data center spend, on and on and on. A lot of those end markets are still going to be challenged. I would not be uh, all bold. I'm long NVIDIA as a long-term holder. I don't buy it for the earnings, but I would not be going into the earnings all bold up. And in fact, I bought the semiconductor uh, ETF in September. It wasn't the exact bottom. It worked out to have been kind of close. And, you know, I, I had like, I was on the show. I had like Weiss screeching at me. He was so angry. And my point was not like, oh, the semi business is going like to be Weiss. good. Anyway, continue. But yeah, it's, it's fine. We love Steve. Um, it's, my point was never like, oh, the, the cycle's turning. My point was at a certain point, these stocks are buys just purely based on the fact that there's nobody left to sell. Look at the bounce off those levels. Now, I'm, I'm out of that ETF. I sold it early. I'm terrible. What could I tell you? Um, but if I were long here, I think that we're getting to the place where you want to take profits. This group uh, had a very similar rally in July into the middle of August, topped out right at that uh, falling 200-day moving average. 
Now we're challenging that same 200-day moving average once again. In fact, we're right there, 228 on the SMH. I think we're about 218 right now. Um, so this would not be the place where I get really excited. This would really be the place where I say, oh, no, I should have bought these things in September when nobody wanted them. Well, but now that you should maybe sell them now is your, is your point. If you're at all, if you're at all tactical, if you're, if you're trading, if you're an investor, it's a different story. But if you're tactical and you're trading, this is not the place. Unless we get a massive break above that uh, falling 200-day, we get some consolidation above that level, maybe even a retest. But that's a long ways off to be able to say we've seen that. We're just not there yet. Um, and these companies all year have not been good to hold through earnings. That's pretty so, pretty good analysis from Josh. I mean, you own NVIDIA also along with Qualcomm. I what, do. what do you think of that? Look, I think you're absolutely right, Josh. I mean, in terms of trading, probably time to get out. But in terms of long-term holding, it's very hard to get out now because if they actually do not hit numbers and the stock goes up, then we're off because that means the market's looking at some of the stuff coming back in terms of gaming, data center, AI. But it, when you look at NVIDIA and you look at the IP that this company has, you look at the margins that this company has, that's what you own it. You're owning it for three to five years, not just for the next quarter. I'd be more worried. I'd be, I think the bigger risk is guide downs versus bottoming on bad news. I just... My, my, my read of the way these stocks have traded all year, I just don't think we're there yet. You're not worried um, about a guide down from, oh, from somebody I, I, like I'm NVIDIA? I'm actually expecting a guide down, to tell you the truth, because I, I do think you look every company that they sell into has called for a slowdown. So they're going to say something. They've already kind of pre-announced it before. So the stock reacted down already. It's come back up in the last couple of weeks. If, but, if they guide down and the stock goes up, to your point and right. to my point, that's actually very telling. Right. And, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I just I don't, I'm not smart enough. For, right? Right? Right. I'm not yeah. smart enough to time that. If the stock goes down a substantial amount tomorrow, do you, do you buy more? For you, those just de you declared yourself in a longer-term investor. Uh, absolutely. For those clients who don't have a full um, position in it or new money, Absolutely. This is one of my top 10 kind of stocks I want to hold for three to five years. Judge, the SMH is up 36% off its low. It's now 17% above its 50-day uh, moving average. These stocks have had an incredible rally. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying good things can't happen from here. I'm saying this is not an environment where there's any rush. All right. Coming up, a double upgrade for one streaming giant, noting the stock is still the leader in the space. The committee debates it next. It's our call of the day. Increased focus on energy security due to the war in Ukraine could boost global clean energy investment to more than $2 trillion annually by 2030, up more than 50% from today, according to the latest World Energy Outlook from the IEA. Investment would have to reach $4 trillion a year to achieve a 1.5 degree stabilization in global temperatures. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update. A Ukrainian Air Force spokesman says Russia fired more than 100 missiles in its latest attack on the country. The strikes break what had been a period of relative calm following a wave of Russian drone and missile launches several weeks ago. A senior Ukrainian official describes the situation as critical, and they're initiating emergency blackouts around the nation. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp testified in the 2020 election interference probe this morning. Kemp was questioned before the special grand jury investigating possible interference by former President Trump and his allies. That testimony had been scheduled for after the election, which Governor Kemp won against Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams. And NASA's Artemis One moon mission will once again attempt to launch overnight after a number of previous delays. This is the third attempt to send the rocket on its 26-day mission. It was postponed in August and September because of mechanical issues, and then the rocket suffered minor damage from Hurricane Nicole, but NASA's engineers have repaired it. Scott, we'll keep our eye on that and see if third time's the charm. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. All right, Netflix, double upgraded today to buy at Bank of America. Josh Brown, I want you to take this one. Um, they see 23.6% upside from here. 370 is the price target. Um, obviously, the stock has had a you know a tremendous rebound from its low. Now above 300 bucks, as we're looking at um, right here. What's your read on this call, which I'm guessing you would suggest is kind of late? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's late, but it's definitely not. It's definitely not early. So I, I'm in this thing uh, below 240 is another stock I got yelled at for buying. Um, I'm playing with the house's money at this point. I'm not incredibly confident that the next quarter they report is going to be a great quarter. And I don't think the the ad platform rollout is uh, meant to be some sort of a bonanza. Management has been downplaying the timing of when this thing will really get rolling. However, I think it's a very unique asset. It's not an expensive stock. Um, let's go through a couple of the superlatives from Bank of America. One of the main things that they talk about, they see potential upside in 23 or 24. That could bring in more than $1.2 billion in terms of um, not worrying as much about slower subgrowth, but worrying more about monetizing what's already there, the password sharing, et cetera. That's a really big part of the story. The other one, I would say, on the advertising side, um, B of A is talking about 719 million from advertising with its basic platform by 2025. If they can demonstrate over the next couple of quarters that those uh, numbers are realistic, uh, I don't see how you sell the stock. So I think they've done a, a pretty good job reorienting the story. Uh, they're no longer going to be talking about subgrowth. It's no longer relevant given the saturation in most of their mature markets. Now it's about how much more money they can make. And that's what Wall Street wants right now. Wall Street wants profits. It wants cash flow. It's less enamored with grow at any price. So I think they're doing all the right things. Great management. And uh, technically, you're about to see the 50-day cross above the 200-day. Uh, the bulls are starting to uh, take control here. So I'm going to stay with it for now. What's your take here? You don't own it. I don't own it. It's a really, really tough space. And look, at the, in the last month, Netflix, Apple, Hulu, all raised prices, right? We're going to actually see what happens when they report if they're going to have any issues. That's all rolling out. It hasn't hit yet. So I think that, you know, as the consumer tightens their wallet, who's going to do well? And, and the market is not paying these huge premiums for streaming anymore. So I think you have to be really careful because if anyone actually misses, they go back to kind of the prices they were just a couple months ago. The premium you were paying for this before at 65 times is now 27 times. Right. So it's been reduced 
by two-thirds nearly. And doesn't mean 27 is cheap by any means? Same, same multiple you're paying for Coca-Cola. Which of these has more upside potential if things go right? If things go right, Netflix, but if things go wrong... Agree, Def- agree. Yeah, yeah. agree. So, so, so it's, it's, but again, you, want to, you don't want to put all the eggs in one basket. Mm. So. Nope, never. Um, and in the same light, when we talk about streaming, you are what you say is doubling up in shares of our parent company, Comcast and Charter? Yes. So two stocks, uh, Comcast. Doubling the size of the positions in no, each? No, I'm not doubling. What does up, doubling up mean? Doubling up means I'm tax loss harvesting. It means that I'm buying a double up position on Comcast and Charter because when I bought the stocks, I'm down 30% for Comcast for the year, almost 40% for Charter. I want to use the tax loss against other gains in the portfolio. This is for a taxable portfolio or take those losses and carry them forward to the next year. This is what individual investors can do when you have individual portfolios, so you can actually maximize the unrealized gains in the portfolio. So you still maintain the same position 31 days later, you sell the low-cost position. Okay, good. Um, Thanks for explaining that. All right, check out this mystery chart. It's up 14% in the past month, and it may be showing signs of a big breakout ahead. We reveal the trade. We'll debate how much further it can really go from here in two minutes. Nice breakout going on in biotech stocks on pace for their eighth positive day in nine. Some suggest it's just getting started, worth following, according to Fundstrat's Mark Newton. So, Surat, I feel like you got a major overweight to this space. Illumina, Bristol, Merck, CVS, Elanco, J&J, Thermo Fisher, Zimmer Biomet. Am I right? I do, but not. it's not all biotech. It's actually the suppliers to biotech. If you think of uh, Illumina, Thermo Fisher, uh, those are the companies that provide all the products. And then I have some big pharma in there, too. So biotech by itself has really been out of favor. You saw that in the VC space as well. It kind of came over to the public space. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely, you know, like Stephanie said, big overweight to healthcare. It's actually performed pretty well for us. That's where kind of money's been going on these rotations. Will you agree with this call? I do. I do. I, I mean, I, biotech breakout worth following. I mean, is it is it still is there still time to get into these names? I think there is six months. The IBB is up 20 percent. The XBI is up 24 percent. It had been so badly beaten down because nobody wanted to be in this space at all. So much money had come out of this. I think as part of your health care exposure, it's something you can have. Steph. Biotech trades like technology stocks, right, on juice (laughs) or on steroids. So I think you can own some of the big ones. Amgen is one that I always look at. I don't own it. Um, I'm market weight healthcare. I'm nervous that everyone's been hiding out in it, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show. So I own United Healthcare. Uh, it's the number one player. They've got growth, double-digit growth. Um, it's not it's not cheap though at 23 times, but it is the behemoth in the industry. And all they seem to do is beat and raise. And I think it's a compounder. J and J is a special situation because they're splitting out the uh, consumer business, and they have a world-class pharmaceutical business and it trades at 17 times, which is reasonable. Um, and Zoetis is animal health, and I don't really even. I don't really think of Zoetis as a healthcare name, but it's animal health, um, and it's got great growth, and uh, they're, they're taking a lot of market share. And once the supply chains get fixed, I think the stock has the next move higher from here. One, one of the things about making a sector-wide call, um, especially after a bounce as big as the one we've had, is you want to go under the hood and you want to take a look at individual components and how overbought they might be. And the good news here is 60% of the, S, of the XBI 
are above their 50-day moving average, which means almost half the index still hasn't crossed above into that short-term uh, bull market. 55% are above their 200-day. So there's still room for a lot of broken charts to become unbroken. And I like that kind of setup. Uh, the median bounce off the lows for an XBI name is about 60%. So this is a huge oversold rally that is now turning into its own bull market. And I don't think we're at, we're at the end stage here. Uh, the median RSI for this group, relative strength, is only 55. So we think about overbought like 70 RSI, 72 RSI. That's where maybe things have gone too far too fast. There's right. still a lot of room between here and there. Well, I mean, I remember, and maybe it was close to around the time that these things started to break out, you deemed this, if I recall correctly, the, the best fat pitch in the market. Biotech, I think Yeah, it was. but I, I don't think I was talking about it in a one-year period. Um, but the question was, if we're going to have slower growth globally, but there's still going to be an investor appetite for growth, what are the growth stocks that are secular and not reliant upon um, Germany and China and, and Japan growing GDP rapidly? These are those companies, the ones that are able to get through phase two, phase three, put products into the market. If they have their own secular growth story, then they shouldn't be, theoretically at least, hanging on every word of the Federal Reserve. That call hasn't really aged well because these stocks have traded like tech, to Stephanie's point, but they won't always. So maybe this is the beginning of something new. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Mike Santoli joins us for his midday word next. We're back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joining us now from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. I feel like it's kind of nothing yet to upset the narrative since CPI, right? Not nothing big uh, and certainly not relative to how people were positioned. Uh, so, you know, today the market still uh, is certainly responding positively to this additional little weight on the scale of perhaps uh, decelerating inflation and, and we might be past peak inflation and all the rest of it. The S&P is, you know, I would say it's still below at the moment yesterday's high. So we, we are sort of hesitating here after this rally, just digesting it. I think what is helpful, though, Scott, is on a six month basis, as of right now, the S&P is flat. So if you consider all that's come over the past six months in terms of people becoming a lot more certain that a recession perhaps is out there somewhere, yields 10-year below 3% to, you know, we get 3.7-ish now, two-year yield up a ton. The Fed's done a lot more, up three percentage points. So it seems as if there's been a lot absorbed. And over that six months, industrials and financials are up 6 7%. Right. So the drag has been some consumer and some tech. So it's it's either the, the market sending a message that there's a little more firmness in the economy and it can handle what the Fed's already thrown at it. Or, you know, we're all just kind of operating with blinders on and the decline is yet to come. And I think we have to live in that ambiguity for a little while. Let's not forget, you know, the last, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of the trade yesterday felt pretty good like this. And then all of a sudden it, it evaporated sure. into the close. Yeah. And this is a spot after you've gotten one of these sharp rallies where you get a lot of the 
the technical uh, kind of trimming around the edges. And yesterday, people were saying it was a particular category of systematic fund that seems like it had to lighten up at a certain level. You know, so there are those games. It doesn't define the trend, but uh, it does sort of, uh, you know, sometimes play the beats on a day-to-day basis that you have to roll. To. Right. Good stuff. I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli right. at the Stock Exchange. Stocks in rally mode, as we just showed you. S&P's up about 5% in the past week alone. A number of names are up double digits in that time. Well-known ones, too. We'll trade some of them next. We've got a big interview coming up in overtime today. That's Anthony Pompliano, best known as Pomp. Crypto evangelist, believer, bull. Is he still? We'll talk to him about the FTX fallout, his first interview since that still developing event. I hope you'll join me. 4.15 during overtime. Yeah, Looking forward to that uh, very much. Joe Terranova with us as well on all things markets. So I'll see all of you in a few hours' time. Let's do uh, final trades. Surat, you go first. Oh, good. I finally get a word before. Gosh. Uber. Look, this is a breakout now. After Lyft announced earnings, you saw a difference between the two stocks, between Lyft and Uber. Uber's got mobility. They've got delivery. They've got freight. This is a business that people are going to get behind on. It's cash flow positive coming down the pipeline. I think you're going to see this stock um, go up quite a bit. Coincidentally, this was yours, too. Why, why today is, is yeah, this today? I wasn't paying attention, and I said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, this, this is on my list of stocks that should have made a new low in September relative to the June lows and did not. Uh, and also very interesting, Lyft had a bad quarter and Uber actually rallied. Uber is eating their lunch. Look at the technicals. The fundamentals are lining up. I think the stock's going higher. All right, Steph. Should I say Uber? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Estee Lauder, quality on sale, um, and 30% of their exposure is into China, so there's some leverage there, and 7 to 9% organic growth for the full year. All right, good stuff. Great to be with all of you and all of you as well. See you in overtime. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.